There's something in, in nature that we are familiar with about a particular creature. And this, this animal or lizard is actually a chameleon. So a lot of you know what a chameleon is. It's a, it's a creature or lizard that has the ability, a special ability for its skin to, to blend into its surroundings. And that's kind of a neat ability that a chameleon has. And a lot of it is for its own survival. So it could blend in to its surroundings so it can't be seen. So it could be camouflaged. But also has a dual purpose of being camouflaged to potential prey so it can feed itself. So this attribute is something that is very clever for a chameleon to be able to do. Now a lot of times that term chameleon can be also applied to people because people can be like chameleons because we tend to like to blend in so that we don't stand out. Now there's a Japanese saying that the nail that stands up gets hammered down. And so a lot of us, especially people who come from immigrant families or people of color, to assimilate into dominant culture, we tend to learn how to be chameleons really well. We learn to blend in. But unfortunately, sometimes this kind of attribute or ability can be detrimental to our health. Because as far as the Christian faith goes, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're told to be different, to stand out. But often, that puts us into jeopardy or makes us feel different from the rest of the world. And often we take on chameleon-like attributes just to blend in to compromise our beliefs, compromise our faith to the detriment and damage to our souls. And that's something that we have to be mindful of and, and not to allow ourselves to fall on into that trap. Now, you know, we're in a series that we've called Made for Love. And we're going to be talking about marriage, about sex, about singleness. And it's these topics that oftentimes have influences outside of the church, meaning there's a worldview, there's a cultural view, and sometimes, sadly, there is, can actually be a dysfunctional church view of marriage, singleness, and sex. And so we, as a church, have decided that this would be a timely um, opportunity to begin to speak into this and to look at what scripture tells us about these two particular subjects of marriage and singleness, which are two things that if you talk about one, you kind of have to talk with the other one because they're kind of interconnected, they're intertwined. I'm just going to begin with a question because when you know that I'm going to be talking about singleness, some of you are going to be tuning me out. Those of you who are married are thinking, well, this is not a message for me. And, and I wanted to just take an opportunity to say it is a message for you because it's a topic that's relevant to all of us because I'm going to ask a question. How many of you are single? And how many of you were single? <laughs> I know, it's a rhetorical question because everybody was single at one time. You're born single. And, and that's something that, that all of us have to realize, that we have been single sometime in life. But for those who are married, I want you really to listen also to the message because I don't want you to tune me out. Because it isn't just about singleness in itself. Because maybe you're married now, but there are circumstances in life that are out of your control, and you may find yourself single again. 
And so it's important to understand what the Bible says about singleness. And then for those of you who are single, you're looking at me, Pastor Calvin, you're not single anymore. How can you have credibility to talk about singleness when you're married? True. And that's something I want to remind that, just looking back on my life, about half my life I was single, half my life I'm married. So that's about 30-30, tells you my age. But I want to say that what's important is not my experiences of being single. It's more important that we look at what God's words and intentions for singleness is. And I'm going to try at the best of my ability to teach from the scripture with full integrity of what God says about singleness. So before we go into the message, I want us to prepare for this time. Let me say a word of prayer so we can dive into today's scripture. Heavenly Father, I I thank you for your presence here. May your Holy Spirit reign in this room. As I pray each time we gather that you will help us to see what you want us to see. Help us hear what you want us to hear. Help us to know what you want us to know. And most especially, help us to feel in our hearts, to change our hearts and transform our hearts, to feel what you feel. So I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to speak your word. May the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, I want us to point to a particular chapter in 1 Corinthians. It's 1 Corinthians 7. And that will be a chapter that we're going to look into. I'm not going to read the chapter in its entirety because it's really long, uh, but I'm going to pick um, scripture out of there. But I want to start by reading verse 1 from chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians 7. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That's the first verse of chapter 7. It says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now, you kinda, I got to kind of give a little bit of context because you're going, wow, what, what is the Apostle Paul, this is which, who wrote this letter, is talking about? It says there, it's not good for, for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Is, is Paul saying, let's don't have any sex? Well, that can be taken as a misunderstanding is essentially the context here, you have to realize this is a letter to the, the church at Corinth. Is Corinth. This church in Corinth was one of the first churches that, that the Apostle Paul planted himself and on one of his missionary trips. The area of Corinth is much like the Bay Area. It was a cosmopolitan uh, city. It was uh, very um, diverse. There was a lot of wealth. Um, there was a lot of philosophies, a lot of different religious faiths going on. And unfortunately, also, there was a lot of sexual immorality. There was a lot of perversion, a lot of prostitution. There was a lot of of, of premarital sex going on. And so there was a lot of problems that were seeping into the church. And so the Apostle Paul was had to address some of these things. And the church itself was struggling. It was a very young church. And they had asked the Apostle Paul about four particular issues. So they had sent him these questions. And so what Paul was doing here in chapter 7, verse 1, is just uh, rephrasing an issue that the church had asked them. They said, in the midst of all this sexual immorality, would it be better that we just abstain from sex? That sex is out of the question. 
and then we wouldn't have these other problems. And Paul had to do kind of a corrective on this extreme stance that this theology that was a little distorted was coming out of the early church. And then Pastor Andrew did a very good job last week of talking about about sex is glorious, but needs to be uh, performed or uh, done in the context of the safety of a covenantal relationship called marriage. And so Pastor Andrew dealt with that last week. And I'm going to kind of touch on it again this week. But my, my topic this week is about singleness. Because although chapter 7 seems to be talking a lot about marriage, but Paul also talks about singleness. And there, as I said, both topics are kind of interconnected and intertwined. So what does Apostle Paul say here about singleness? And the first thing I note is that being single is not bad. That being single is actually good. And, and we see this in verse 8. It says, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. So I'm not saying this, that singleness is good. The Apostle Paul, who is a prophet of God, a, a, a man of God, speaking in, for God, says singleness is good. Now, now, some of you are scratching your head and thinking, is the Apostle Paul weird? Right? You think, was he so socially awkward that he couldn't get anybody to, to, to be a mate? So you can say this? Or, or, or maybe he is just, just a you know, social outcast. Maybe he was a leper. You know, people don't touch lepers because in that time they're considered unclean. But maybe he was, had that kind of disease where he could say, oh, just be single. I don't think so. Apostle Paul, for whatever reason, said, it is good to be single like I am. And, and the original audience is also struggling with this because in some ways it, it seemed to them in conflict with a lot of things they knew from God's word in the Old Testament. Right? In, in, in Genesis 2, verse 18, it says, it is not good for man to be alone. That's when God was looking at Adam after he created him, and he found him by himself, and he, and he says these words. It, it is not good for man to be alone. So he, God created Eve. So if God said it's not good for a man to be alone, but now Paul says it's good to be single. So what's, what's going on here? So these folks in the original church are saying, is this in conflict? Are, are you uh, saying something against what God originally said? So the best way I can kind of explain this in the simplest way is that there has been now a transformation in the worldview or perspective. That there at one time been a purpose in the Old Testament for, for man not to be alone, a person not to be alone, to be married, because remember, God gave the commandment to, to, the, uh, to the people, the Israelites, go forth and multiply and be fruitful. So in that sense, they needed to at least physically grow in number to grow the faith. And that's an Old Testament concept of go forth and multiply. 
physically. But when Jesus came to earth, there was a new covenant, a new way of thinking. There's the Old Testament, and now there's the New Testament. And Jesus said, it is not important for physical growth, but for spiritual growth. And Jesus came for spiritual children and spiritual disciples, not physical children. So there is this switch from Old Testament thinking now to a New Testament thinking. An old covenant has been now replaced by a new covenant in Jesus Christ. So if singleness is not bad, but it is good, why? And why does Paul say this? He says, singleness is a gift from God. First seven, in 1 Corinthians 7, says this, I wish that all were as myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So Paul is saying that singleness is a gift from God. Now, there's been two ways to interpret this. Uh, the majority tend to interpret this, this passage to teach about uh, a lifetime of celibacy. The singleness is a special gift that one has to be able to live without sex for a lifetime. And that interpretation is, is, is a popular one, and, and it compares singleness to kind of be like a spiritual gift, like one of the other spiritual gifts, like spiritual gift of leadership or hospitality or music or, or service, whatever. So it's just one of another long list of spiritual gifts. And so that could be an acceptable perspective. And so when Paul says uh, this gift, some are given one gift and others are given another gift, it could be in a realm of looking at spiritual gifts. But there's another way which I tend to, to lean more towards as interpretation of this passage. Especially whenever we look at scripture, we often have to look at it in context of what Paul's talking about. So he's talking about in chapter 7 here about marriage and singleness. And so between those two, you can make a case that he's not talking about spiritual gifts. He's talking about a gift like a present, like a present you get for your birthdays or anniversaries. And so Paul is thinking and saying that singleness is a gift from God. Marriage is also a gift from God. And so if you have that kind of a perspective and, and interpretation of scripture, when you read, I wish that all were as my myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So you have this duality of marriage and singleness, each being a gift from God. And gifts from God are all good because God is good. So therefore, Paul can say this. Singleness is good because it is a gift from God. So if singleness is good, then I want to make this statement. And this is maybe a corrective to culture. Singleness is not a disease that needs to be cured. It's not a problem that needs a solution. And if we believe uh, the Apostle Paul, singleness is good. And, and here I want to take a moment to, to um, address the marrieds out here. 
uh, oftentimes our perspective that it's bad or there's something wrong with a person when they're single, we tend to want to correct that. We, we often want to matchmake people. Now, I know matchmaking is okay. Many of you probably got introduced to your significant other by someone else. But I, I just want to have some uh, pastoral counsel here just to make you all understand that please use some discretion about that. And also to um, be sure to ask permission from the people that, that you're trying to, to so-called help out here. Because if we look at what we're looking at scripture here, and I'm going to continue more in depth of why not to consider singleness a problem or singleness is a disease that needs to be cured. Because sometimes the ways that we try to help people is not very loving. It can actually be hurtful. We cannot project our expectations, our understanding of, of particular issues, and think that they would accept them and appreciate them too. So that's a little bit of word of counsel. I, I would like to share a common story that many of us probably experienced when we were single. I know I did. And I had a recent conversation with a friend. And she went back home and visited her family. And there was a family gathering. And of course, when you're single, you know this question comes up. An auntie comes up to you and says, are you seeing anyone? And then, you know, you got to say, you know, either you know, that, 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 that moment of an embarrassment or shame or whatever comes over you from our culture, you say, no, no not now. And then they say, well, why not? And, and at that moment, you know, all you can do is give that polite smile. But deep inside, I remember wanting to crawl into a hole and just disappear. It's those moments that happen at school reunions. Friends that you have not seen, they kind of ask, are you seeing anybody? And, and often those are very awkward moments. And those are things that well-meaning people are trying to show some care. But in some ways, we are projecting something on them that we don't even know if, they really, if a person really is, is caring about that. So my word of counsel that singleness is not a disease that necessarily needs to be cured. It's not a problem that needs to be solved. So let's be careful of how we interact with people because it's important to love them in a way that honors them and respects them. So singleness is not a problem, but it can be a distraction. So the scripture says it does need self-control. Apostle Paul says... In verse 9, but if they, singles, cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul is telling us that if you want to have sex, if you want to have this, if you have this burning passion in you, that you do need to get married. So that's the, the solution. Go ahead and get married. But here I want to also take a, a moment to give some pastoral counsel again. If we listen to the world's view on singleness, getting married and having sex is not an issue. The world's view is you can have sex outside of the safe boundaries of a covenantal relationship like marriage because it's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. And, and in my research for this message, I had to kind of back it up maybe with some data 
take it with a grain of salt with the things I looked up on surveys. But here is surveys, uh, results that I found online uh, about premarital sex. In 2016, there was a poll. People were asked, is it okay to have sex outside of marriage in America? Americans, two-thirds of the population says it is okay. There's nothing wrong with it. All right, so that's actually more than a simple majority. Two-thirds of the population believes sex is okay outside of marriage. I looked at global stats. Do you know in, uh, in the world that the average sexual partners a person has in a lifetime on a global scale, the average is nine. And that's actually lower than in the United States. In the United States, the average is 11 in a lifetime. Now, put it in context, uh, more conservative countries like the Middle East, uh, Muslim countries, uh, Asia, Southeast Asia, their statistics is actually average of one to three. So that kind of explains our culture, Asian culture. If you're that, we're a little bit more on a conservative side, which in some ways maybe you look at it as a good thing. But here, I just want to give you a perspective that, that the majority out there if we allow ourselves to be chameleon-like, to blend in and begin to compromise not our culture's values or our worldly values, but we begin to compromise our biblical values, the instructions that God gives to us, it can be easily done because the world is saying sex outside of marriage is okay. And here I'm going to take a moment to, to emphasize again the importance of sexual purity. Pastor Andrew talked about it last week, but it's worth repeating again this week. And, and I'm going to use duct tape again just to, to represent that in the sexual union, there's this phenomenon called supergluing. Now, I'm, if you were here, Pastor Andrew was a little bit graphic, and I have to, <laughs> have to apologize for it. For his, so if you weren't here, you were spared. But I'm going to use duct tape again. And so the duct tape represents two people, two persons. And when you have sexual union, there is a joining of the two people at that particular time. And some, yes, it is a physical union, but it is more than that. It is also a, a, an emotional, it's a mental, and from a, a, a biblical standpoint, there's a spiritual joining of two people and that bond is permanent whether you have sex one time two times or hundreds of times there is at that particular union this super gluing effect and it happens now for whatever reason if that relationship between the two people ever is broken they separate they divorce or if it's just a one-night stand. Unfortunately, at that separation, what happens is that there is going to be a ripping and tearing of those two individuals because that superglue effect happens. And it doesn't even happen if you're married or not married, just by the act of the sexual union, that there will be pieces of each of you left with the other person. There will be actually a scarring, a bleeding of your your uh, spiritual soul that will be damaged forever. And it happens 
when that separation happens. And that's why God says that, that the sexual union must be done in a safe place where there is mutual love, where there is caring, that there is a willingness to submit, there's safety and trust, and that can only happen in a covenantal committed relationship of marriage. Otherwise, if it's a one-night stands or just multiple sexual partners, there is going to be this kind of tearing and damage to your souls. But thankfully, I mean, here's a, a word, because I know in this room, that I'm sure there are people that have, have uh, lost their purity or have had uh, premarital sex before. We have a God that, that still loves you and loves you unconditionally. And we have a God who forgives and a God that, that desires to, to bring you into his family and continue to love you and heal you of those hurts and that brokenness and pain from past relationships. And that's the God we have. We have a God of second chances, actually a God of multiple chances. And, and a way to, to look at this is that all of us have brokenness in our lives. So we're not just talking about um, sexual immorality. Um, we have, all of us have our own sins. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. To the cross, he bore those sins so that we would be forever forgiven for those. From the past, the present, and to the future. And the thing is, the way to look at it is that if my life, your life, we're all messed up. And when life gets messed up, we have a God who allows us to hit that reset button. It's like when your computer is all messed up and it's frozen, you hit the reset button and you get to start again. And that's the kind of God we have. And I hope that would be something that, that you don't run away from him, but run to him in your pain. So the next thing I want to talk about, singleness from this, from this chapter in First. Corinthians 7 is that singleness is not always a choice, but we should think of it as a season in life. Now, for some of us, this season can be very short, but for some of us, this season can be very long. But also, it can be a season that is repetitive. And what I mean is that, that it can come, uh, you can discover yourself even when you're married all of a sudden you're single again because your 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 spouse passes away you're widowed or widow you become a widower or there's separation or there's divorce and the apostle paul does mention this in first corinthians 7 paul brings this up in verse 8 and 11 these possible seasons he says in verse 8 to the unmarried and the widows i say that it's good for them to remain single as i am so he brings up the whole issue of being a widow. And then in verse 10 to 11, he talks about separation and divorce. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. So here, in the uh, topic and subject of singleness, it, it's a little bit more complex than just being unmarried. There's a variety of reasons why you can become unmarried, even being married. There's either death or there's divorce or separation. 
So think of that, there, that uh, being reminded that, that these things can come up in your life. Because life is unpredictable. Things happen that, that are totally out of our control. And we can then find ourselves single again. So when I, I bring this up, there, there's always going to be the case in just hearing stories. Even when my mother became widowed, uh, when my father passed away, she would always tell me that she felt so alone. And that when she would go out to, to parties with her friends and she would be single again, it was very awkward for her. And so these things do come up where... You don't control these things, but in life, you think you get married and everything's solved, but no. Life can bring you problems or challenges that you don't think about until they do happen. But my word to you is to, re to be reminded that these earthly conditions, these earthly seasons are only finite. They're only a blip in the eternity that we have as believers. And given that perspective, whether it's singleness or marriage, these are only very short seasons compared to the eternity that we have in heaven. And that's the hope that we have. And, and Apostle Paul addresses this in, in verse 29, verse 31. He says this, This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Paul is reminding us that our earthly time is short, and that the things and the ways of the world in our lifetime, we think are long, but they're actually just passing away. If we remember as Christians that we have an eternity and life on earth is only a very small segment of that. So it's important not to focus on the minutia and lose the perspective and be blind to the bigger picture. That there is still an eternity out there for us to live. So Paul is reminding us that whether it's singleness or marriage, it's not permanent. It isn't the done deal for, your, for what God has in store for you. And this is important to note that Jesus also taught this. That isn't Paul just saying this. Jesus taught this in Matthew 22, verse 30, that marriage is only temporal. It's only temporary. He says in verse 30 in Matthew 22, For the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. People, when we get to heaven, there is no more marriage. We're not married anymore. According to, to Jesus, we are going to be like angels who are not married. They're single. So I know a lot of married couples out there are saying, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Just kidding. But it is a truth. We are going to be transformed to the new bodies and there will be no more marriage. I don't know what the relationships are going to be looking like in heaven, 
But according to Jesus, if I take him seriously, he says, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So marriage, folks, is only temporary. It's an earthly concept that God has created and designed for us. There will be no more marriage in heaven. And then for singles, this is an important word I want you to to hear, that the grass is not greener on the other side of the fence, and that singleness does have advantages. And the Apostle Paul tells us this in verse 32 to 34. A very important advantage is that you'll be free from marital anxieties. Verse 32 in 1 Corinthians 7, Apostle Paul writes, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. So as singles, you are spared marital anxieties. So what, what do I mean about that? I, I know from just sharing stories, when you're single, it's very easy to make decisions, independent of anybody else. You can just do what you want to do, make a decision, eat what you want, go travel where you want, buy what you want. Once you are married, it changes. There has to be now communication, there has to be negotiating, there has to be compromise, there is submission to another person in decision making, simply where you want to go to eat, where you want to go to vacation. All kinds of decision becomes a joint decision, as it should be in a healthy relationship, because of the demonstration of mutual submission and love in a relational, uh, in a relationship. And that's what marriage is. But it's not any, it's complicated. It's more challenging. Being single in many ways, you don't have to do that. And then another way of these other anxieties that come with marriage, for marriage, which if you're not married, you may not understand this, is that when, when, when Terry, my wife, she would have to work an evening shift and, uh, or be out late at night, I would be concerned for her safety. And I would wait up for her to come home. And if she's a little bit late, I would get anxious. And it's those kinds of worries or anxieties that you wouldn't have if you were single. You just go where you want to go, and you come home when you want to go, and you're not concerned by anyone else. But when you care for somebody, when you're in a marital relationship, you do care. And it's those kinds of worries and anxieties can then distract you. Then if you have children, it even compounds the anxieties about their care, their safety, their health, their needs. And so what Paul is saying, being single, you have an advantage of not having any of those kinds of anxieties. And Paul is reminding us that when we uh, respect and honor what singleness is, then we understand that our primary purpose is to have an undivided devotion to God. And that oftentimes, being married distracts us from that undivided attention to God. Verse 35, Apostle Paul says, I say this for your own behalf, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Our primary relationship is with Jesus. 
And I could say it's not about marriage either. Our primary relationship is not in our marriages. It's not in our careers. It's not in our hobbies. It's not in that bucket list, uh, bucket list of dreams and hopes and wishes that we desire to have to achieve. Our primary devotion is to God. And often we can be distracted from things that turn into idols for us. And marriage can be an idol. And we have to be careful of that and be, and be cautious about not making marriage or the striving for marriage an idol. And an important point to, to bring up here, that not only the Apostle Paul was single, but our Lord Jesus Christ was single. I mean... That's someone we're supposed to be like, Christ-like. Jesus himself was single when he was here on earth. From Matthew 19, verse 12, Jesus teaches that singleness is a worthy choice for some. It's a worthy choice for the sake of the kingdom of God. He says this in Matthew 19, verse 12, For there are eunuchs who have been sold from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. So Jesus is teaching the case that using the example of eunuchs, which essentially are, 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 are people who, who cannot have children. So either they were born not able to have children, or they were surgically changed so they could not have children, but Jesus brings up a third case of people not having children because they choose it for the sake of the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of heaven. And that is what Jesus chose to do. He could have married if that was something he wanted to do, but he came in his ministry on, here on earth, he was single. Because he was, I said, bringing a new covenant to change an old covenant way of thinking. Now there is now the importance of not physical family, but spiritual family. To have spiritual children is more important than having physical children. And that is the commission he gives to all of us who are his followers. Through the great commission that we are out to go out into the field to bring spiritual children into the church. Just as Jesus did. Jesus chose to be single because he did not need to have an earthly family. And there are many teachings from, from in the Gospels about that. And people asked him, who is his family? And he said, you who are my followers are my brothers and sisters. You are my spiritual mothers, my spiritual fathers. So if you're going to remember anything from my message today, this is the important statement to, to take home, that singled or married, both are good. Both have been designed by God to fulfill and portray the gospel in full. And both singleness or marriage or being married, you are fully equipped to make disciples of all nations, to fulfill the Great Commission. And 
it's important to point out that Apostle Paul reminds us this in verse 17 and verse 24 in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. So brothers, in verse 24, in whatever condition, whether married or single, each was called, there let him remain with God. So it's a reminder that our primary devotion is with God and that our primary purpose is not to be single or married, but is to fulfill the great commandments and also to fulfill the great commission. And either being single or married, you're fully designed and equipped by God to be able to do that. And, and here, I want to take a moment, if you are single, I want to encourage you by saying that you lack nothing. Regardless of what others say, you do not, you're not missing out on anything. You should be cherished as children of God, whether you're single or married. And, and that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. That is what Jesus is saying, and that, for whatever it's worth, is what I'm saying. And... And in the context of why can these both be fulfillment of the gospel? Well, marriage, as Pastor Andrew was saying, is a foreshadowing of what is to come. That marriage is a representation of what heaven is to, to the world. That is a demonstrating a, a love, a different kind of love that the world doesn't often see, which is a mutual submissive submission to each other in love by two people. And that's the gospel. And it's unconditional love. Where singleness also is a tremendous and beautiful way of expressing the gospel too. Is that being single and devoting yourself to God, you are demonstrating that your identity is not in marriage. Your identity is not in being single. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. And that is a very powerful message to the world. That you, it's not in your career, it's not in, in your uh, economic status, your social status, your racial status, marital status. That doesn't give you your identity. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. That you have taken on the, the righteousness that Jesus Christ went to the cross for. And that when God looks at you, he doesn't see you in your brokenness. He sees his son, Jesus, because you have taken on his identity. Singleness and marriage are designed by God to fulfill the great commission of making disciples of all nations. Singleness is good. And not because I said it, but God's word does. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this opportunity to just share your word. Pray that your word will not come back void. I pray for those right now who may be struggling with their singleness. And I pray, Lord, that you would meet them in a way to, to show that you love them and that you still care for them and they are not lacking of anything as long as they have you and they identify themselves with Jesus Christ. And for those I know in our midst who are are feeling um, loss and grieving, um, the, the passing of a particular loved one, particularly their spouse, that you know how they feel and you are caring for them and understand that there is hope that comes with a relationship with Jesus. 
And maybe there are some marriages here that are on the rocks. And maybe there is separation in some form where there's not necessarily physical, but maybe it's emotional. And I pray, Lord, that you know that and you would be ministering to those folks now to help them, to heal them of the pain that they're incurring at this moment in their marriages. So, Lord, you are a good God. You give good gifts. And so we thank you in Jesus' name.